0: Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/scienceweekly.
2: When it comes to our phones, most of us have that one app or special interest that keeps us coming back.
1: My problematic app was not the same as most other people's problematic apps. Mine was eBay.
2: From bidding on secondhand items to getting lost in online forums, it can be surprising what keeps us swiping.
1: When I noticed that I had a problem, we were done with the kitchen renovation. But nonetheless, I was spending... Hours just scrolling through eBay for Victorian doorknobs.
2: But sometimes it can go from being a fun distraction or way to get vintage doorknobs to a compulsive, even destructive habit.
1: I had had my daughter and I remember being up with her very late one night and noticing that she was looking up at me and I was looking down at my phone and just mindlessly scrolling. And I realised, oh my goodness, like, this is not the impression I want my daughter to have of a human relationship, let alone with me.
2: Myself? Well, I'm what's known as a
3: doom-scroller. It's not just keeping up with the daily news, but it's sort of compulsively scrolling negative news or looking at negative information.
2: So why are we drawn back into our devices, even when it's making us anxious or getting in the way of relationships? And how do we break the habit and regain control? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly.
1: Oh, so far today, what have I done on my phone? I haven't done much on my phone at all today. Um, It's about nine o'clock in the morning here. I checked my text messages, and I think that's all that I've done.
2: If, like me, you spend an hour scrolling in bed when you wake up, don't feel bad – Catherine Price is the author of the book How to Break Up with Your Phone and the expert coach on The Guardian's new Reclaim Your Brain newsletter. So it's kind of her job to be disciplined. The impact our phones have on us is something she's looked into a lot.
1: Our phones and the apps on them are constantly fragmenting our attention and causing us to focus quickly on one thing and then switch over to another thing and another thing and another thing. And in so doing, they're actually having a very negative impact on our ability to sustain focus and attention. So if you feel like your attention span isn't what it used to be, you can't even get through a magazine article, let alone an actual book, without you know having your attention flit off to something. That's in large part because when we scroll in our phones and flip between apps, we're training ourselves to be more distractible. So that's one way it's affecting us. Another way our phones and apps are affecting us is they're really interfering with our ability to have memories both in the sense that we're not actually having experiences to remember, because if you're distracted, you're not actually experiencing anything, but also because they're getting in the way of our brain's ability to actually transform short-term into long-term memories. That transference requires the creation of new proteins in our brains, and that is a process that is interrupted if you're distracted. That's pretty crazy to think about, the impact just on Attention and memory. Because if you think about what it requires to be a creative and insightful person, we need to be able to pay attention to stuff and we need to be able to sustain our attention.
2: And we're on our phones a lot. The average person checks their device 55 to 144 times a day. But what's pulling us in? Catherine says it comes down to the brain chemical dopamine.
1: When you encounter something, that triggers the release of dopamine, your brain interprets that as something that's important to pay attention to. And if it was a behavior, something that's important to do again. So if you think about it in that light, you can understand why dopamine is essential from an evolutionary perspective because it reminds us to do things like eat and reproduce. But the thing about our dopamine systems is they're totally non-discriminatory. Anything that triggers the release of dopamine will be interpreted by our brains as something that is worth doing again and seeking out. And so that means if you want to create a product that will hook people, all you need to do is put a lot of dopamine triggers into your product. Some common dopamine triggers include bright colors, sounds, the receipt of new information. So, you know, anytime you check your phone, there's going to be something new on there. Uncertainty is a huge dopamine trigger that's known as intermittent rewards when something sometimes gives you a reward, but not always. You're going to be even more compelled to check all the time and i think it's very important for listeners to recognize that many of these techniques are borrowed directly from slot machines and slot machines are considered to be the most addictive machines ever to have been invented so you really can think about your phone as being a slot machine that you're keeping in your pocket
2: well all the factors you described there you know are very recognizable in so many of the apps that we use and particularly i think you know those short form video platforms i'm thinking of I'm thinking of TikTok.
1: (laughs) Just be honest, it's TikTok, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, And, and all the platforms that are now copying TikTok.
2: Well, I wondered, you know, do you think it's those kinds of apps have exacerbated the problem?
1: Yes, I think that apps such as TikTok have exacerbated these problems because even in the early days of smartphones, the way that we were allowing our attention to be Divided was having a negative impact on our brains, on our ability to sustain focus, for example. But now you've got platforms that are deliberately designed to trigger the maximum release of dopamine and to make us pay attention to things for shorter and shorter periods of time. So if you look at TikTok in particular, it has an incredibly sophisticated algorithm that can learn a user's behavior Just based on, for example, the millisecond you might pause on a particular video versus another, and it can begin to feed you more and more personalized videos that are specifically designed personally for you to capture more and more of your attention. It actually takes conscious effort to train your brain to pay less attention to negative stressful things and more attention to sources of positivity and joy and delight. Our brains are naturally going to pay attention, more attention to negative stressful things, than they are to things that have a positive tone to them.
2: Perhaps that rings true for you, because it certainly does for me. My habit of doom scrolling started in the pandemic and never stopped. There's no shortage of anxiety inducing content to absorb. And even when it's late at night and I know I should be sleeping, I just can't stop. But why? I called up Barbara Sahakian, Professor of Clinical Neuropsychology at the University of Cambridge. First of all, how do we know if we're doom-scrolling or just being informed citizens?
3: You can ask yourself certain questions. Are you spending too much time focused on certain sad or negative information? Is it keeping you up late at night? And that could either be because you're compulsively scrolling this distressing news or perhaps it's keeping you up late at night because it's making you more anxious? Do you start focusing on unhappy or negative events early in the day and keep going back to them later in the day? Does it affect your thoughts and emotions? For example, are you having trouble concentrating? And is it making you feel more sort of anxious or sad and possibly even depressed? And are you neglecting to do other activities that might be good for you? And is it therefore focusing and narrowing your horizons as to how
2: you're spending your time? Given all those downsides, why do we do it? Barbara says part of it is a protective mechanism. Our instinct is to stay ahead of any threats that might be out there. We all like
3: to keep up with the news. And we all like to know what's going on around us. And to some extent, that's obviously a way to protect ourselves if something in our environment is, is dangerous. So during the COVID pandemic, people were focusing on watching the news constantly about the number of deaths and whether there was a vaccination coming along. And that was in part because we were very fearful and anxious and we wanted to try to reduce our anxiety by doing that. But, but actually, if you spend too much time that way, um, what you essentially do is you mood-induce yourself into a very negative mood and it doesn't help with your thought processes.
2: So if I sit and scroll and scroll through negative news, that puts me in a negative mood, which seems to make sense. But according to Barbara, there's also a more complex mechanism going on in the brain.
3: If we doom scroll and we do too much of that, we can impact our brain by impacting certain brain regions involved in fear, anxiety and depression, including, for example, the amygdala. We also know that doom scrolling can actually cause a kind of chronic stress because if you start with the pandemic, which went on for several years. And then you're worried also about um, the environmental impact that climate change is having, and you're worried about the cost of living. That's been going on for several years now. So we then have chronic stress and that can actually change hormones in the brain, including cortisol and corticotropin releasing factor, CRF. And when we have high and prolonged levels of cortisol, We know that's associated with mood disorders, as well as shrinkage of areas in the brain, such as the hippocampus.
2: But not all doom scrollers feel the effects equally. I asked
3: Barbara why that is. We all have empathy, hopefully to some degree, but some people may have what we think of as excessive empathy, and they get too locked into what's happening and really have identified with everything that's gone on with it maybe to an excessive extent. And if you have too much empathy, you might be particularly sensitive to the effects of doom scrolling.
2: Personally, I often click on negative content when I'm already feeling worried. So are the mental health effects Barbara talks about caused by doom scrolling or a driver towards it? So we
3: were looking at a study done during the pandemic, and we actually looked to see how people's thoughts were changing in that period of time when we had lockdowns. And we did find that uh, their views became more negative, and they started to show this, what we call an attention to negative information, which is seen in depression. So it isn't just people who already had anxiety and depression, although we know that you know, mental health problems have gone up during the pandemic. And you can't have feelings of well-being if you're continually focusing on negative content and thinking about all the bad things that are happening around the world.
2: So, Catherine, if people not only want to kind of turn their attention not just to positive things on their phone, that bring them happiness, joy, interest, but frankly, just to get off their phones completely and turn their attention to the outside world. How do you go about stopping? Is there any science on what really works?
1: Yes. So I always say that the first step in changing your relationship with your phone is to take a step back and ask the broader question of what you want to pay attention to. Because when push comes to shove, our lives are defined by what we pay attention to in any given moment. Is it your hobbies? Is it your work? Is it your kids, your family, your relationship? And then when you've done that, that's when you can then begin to look at your phone itself and make changes to it that can support some of these intentions that you've just identified. So
2: tip one from Catherine, change the phone itself.
1: It can be helpful to turn your screen to black and white, for example. Even just doing that as an experiment can be fascinating because there's a visceral difference in how it feels to look at a black and white phone versus the colored phone. You also can rearrange your home screen so that it does not contain apps that you know are likely to suck your attention. You also can reduce notifications. I would suggest thinking about notifications as actually being interruptions because that is what they're designed to do. So take a minute to look through the notifications on your phone and decide, do you actually want to be interrupted for?
2: Tip two, get some physical distance.
1: Many people check their phones in the middle of the night or look at their phones last thing before bed or start scrolling immediately upon waking. Well, there's a simple solution to that, which is to get an alarm clock that's not your phone and then charge your phone out of your bedroom. And, and this is crucial, you need to replace your phone because you're going to reach for it. So if you say you want to spend more attention and time on reading, then put a book on your bedside table where your phone used to be so that when you're in bed and you instinctively go to reach for your phone, you encounter the book instead.
2: And tip number three, stop and think.
1: So it's very important to insert what I think of as speed bumps that give us a chance to pause and slow down and ask if we actually want to proceed in the direction that we're going. And one easy way to do that is just put a hair tie or a rubber band around your phone so that when you go to check your phone on autopilot, you have this split second where you wonder, why is there a hairband on my phone? And in that second, you can ask yourself, oh, do I actually want to be checking my phone in this moment? Then I encourage people to do an exercise I Develop that's called WWW, which is short for what for, why now, what else? And the basic idea there is that you ask yourself, well, what for, what was my purpose in opening my phone right now? Then you ask yourself, why now? Which is basically, what about this particular moment? led you to check your phone? Was it because you actually had a time-sensitive reason you needed to open your phone, like you needed to send a particular email, or you were looking for directions? Or was there more of an emotional reason behind you reaching for your phone? Like you felt a little bit socially awkward, so you looked at your phone, or you were bored and you wanted a distraction, or you were lonely and you wanted a bit of connection. And then you can move on to the third step of the exercise, which is what else? Which is basically asking yourself, what else could you do in that moment to achieve the same result? It's just about becoming more intentional so that when we are on our phones, we know that it's the result of a conscious choice.
2: Well, Catherine, I feel genuinely inspired to have a look at my own relationship with my phone and and definitely make some changes. So thank you so much for coming
1: on. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
2: Thanks again to Catherine Price. Her newsletter, How to Feel Alive, is at catherineprice.substack.com. And thanks, to to Professor Barbara Sahakian. You can find all the articles in The Guardian's brilliant Reclaim Your Brain series at theguardian.com. And if you want to find out more about how the modern world is changing our memories, check out the fascinating episode of our sister podcast, Today in Focus, from earlier this month. It's called How to Reboot Your Memory for 2024. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Rachel Porter and Josh Anchana. The sound design was by Tony Onuchuku. And the executive producer is Ali Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.
0: This is The Guardian.